This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 142, Robin Benincasa, Adventure Racer and Project Athena. Hey, college students, thank you very much for all of you who have responded to our Adventure Sports Podcast College Campus Ambassador Program. We thank you for that. We still have some slots available on other campuses, so please don't hesitate. Go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the Contact Us button. We'd love to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today we have a returning guest, Robin Benincasa, and I'm really excited to have her here today. When we uh, last spoke with Robin was all the way back on episode 84, and you may recall Robin was an adventure racer for many years and on the, the best adventure racing team in the world. Just an amazing story, and episode 84 talks a lot about that. Robin developed some severe arthritis in her hips and had some hip replacements that forced her out of the adventure racing, but she wasn't ready to quit adventuring, so she took up long-distance paddling and set world records as a long-distance paddler. But I also want to spend a lot of time today talking about Project Athena, which is a wonderful organization that Robin has put together that encourages everyday people who are recovering from challenging illnesses in their lives and things like that to come back out stronger than they were before and accomplish amazing feats. And so Robin is an inspiration to us all. She is a motivational speaker. And Robin, thank you very much for coming and being on the show again. Yay. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me back, Kurt. Uh, You bet. So Robin, I gave you some bullet points, but for those people that didn't hear all about you on episode 84, will you fill us in? Who is Robin Benincasa? Wow. It goes way, way, way back, back in the day. Um, let's see. Uh, I kind of, well, in terms of my the sports side, I grew up doing every every sport in the world, from gymnastics to diving, the track, cross country, judo, diving, um, and then went into triathlon uh, right after college. And triathlon became adventure racing, and adventure racing became paddling, and all that was happening on a parallel track concurrently with um, life as uh, going from being a a field salesperson for a pharmaceutical company to um, becoming a firefighter and uh, that which is actually what I am still today I'm actually sitting in my fire station as we speak so you may hear some funky overhead tones but uh, it's not in your head. It's not God talking to you. It's just people relieving each other from shift. <laughs> Is this not God speak? Oh, that's fun. Well, Robin, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it was like to transition into full-time adventure-based lifestyle and also what it was like to transition out into what we'd call a hybrid or a mixed lifestyle with adventure still being very important. I want to spend some time on that today. Um, matter of fact, let's just dive in right there. What pulled you into doing adventure racing and adventure sports full time what what drove that decision uh that was that was an easy one. I actually um ended up getting fired from my pharmaceutical job 
So that was fantastic. It's one of those, um, I was at, at ends with, with one of my um, district managers and he decided he actually didn't like my adventure life and um, yada, yada, yada. We ended up parting ways. And um, that's how I became a full-time adventure racer, just for just for a short period of time, for a couple of couple of years actually. But um, uh, along the way, I was, um, you know, doing some some substitute teaching and still still bringing in some money. But it also made me pretty good at trying to find um, sponsorship and other ways to continue to to do what I loved. And um, that pretty quickly became, you know, the the firefighting job. But it was kind of a neat transition in that it allowed me to, uh, you know, to train a lot, to focus actually on some of the business side of of living your adventurous dreams. You know, it's, it takes a little bit of money to do all this. And, um, you know, so in that way, it kind of prepared me to be, um, you know, a team captain later because I really had to focus on marketing and trying to make it all work. But um, the neat thing was when the fire job came along, that was actually the perfect blend of of a quote-unquote real job with also, um, you know, having the flexibility to, you know, to live the adventurous life that I really wanted to live. That's neat. You know, I hear some elements there that really help people that want to have more adventure in their lives. One is that you were very flexible and innovative, right? You found ways to make everything fit together, and it worked out for you. And, man, what you've been able to do in the adventure world is just a testimony, and you're an inspiration. Tell us uh, about the transition from adventure racing into paddling. Um, well, that happened with when I started having my, my hips replaced, uh, which was, gosh, I've had actually, don't even get me started, uh, six different hip replacements at this point of some kind or another, um, two on one side and four on the other. And so in that process of continually, you know, recovering and, and failing and recovering and failing, and I, I went, you know what, I'm not going to really try to run anymore for a while. I'm going to, you know, kind of see if, maybe I have something in the, in the paddling arena. Cause that was always my favorite part of adventure races was I just love the paddling sections. I felt strongest there. And, and you know, the, the deal about following whatever, you know, vein of gold that you find in your, in your life, you know, you got to follow it. You got to keep mining it. And, you know, when you find out something that you're good at, um, you got to go with it. And so um, I decided to try to take a whack at being an endurance paddler, but you know, in adventure racing, you're generally in a boat with somebody else. So I really didn't know that I was an okay paddler um, until my first solo race because I always had a really strong, you know, Aussie or Kiwi in the boat with me. And um, so my first big race was um, the Yukon River Quest. And that was up in the Yukon, obviously, down the Yukon River, 460 miles from um, Whitehorse to Dawson City. And it was crazy. I mean, I was scared to death most of the time. And I was like by myself. And luckily it was, it was light for a lot of the time in the summer up there. But it was, you know, it was quite a journey having come from a team sport back to a solo sport. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty scary, you know, to, to be back completely relying on myself out there in the middle of nowhere with nobody in sight for miles and miles and miles, including crew or rescue or, or anything. And um, 
at the at the end of it though it was pretty exciting to discover that um you know that I was where was I was third solo boat overall um in in the race and um it was pretty cool you know to kind of be on the stage there with you know two guys and and me going you know at the overall and going whoa this maybe I have something here this is pretty cool and uh, so then I, uh, my second big race was the Missouri River 340, which is my favorite race. I love that race. And um, that's literally, as, as far as I know, uh, the longest nonstop paddling race in the world. And, you know, in the Yukon, they force you to stop uh, one time seven hours and another time three hours over the 460 miles. But Missouri, it's a free-for-all. You start at Caw Point and you paddle all the way basically from Kansas city to, to St. Charles. And, you know, it's just like an adventure race, you know, you sleep if you want, you don't sleep if you don't want, you know, there's all kinds of implications on, on, on both sides of that. And, you know, you're just making all the calls as you go about whether you can keep going. And, um, that's still, you know, my, my first race there, which was, gosh, I mean, loved it. I mean, you know, in that sick way that you love, you know, things where you, you know, <laughs> literally, <You're masochistic>. like, <laughs> it wasn't like, I loved it. Like I like eating a bowl of coffee ice cream, but I loved it, you know, like, wow, this is gnarly. And this is, you know, I still get, I get the same feeling I did, you know, from adventure racing. And it was in that uh, first race that I was lucky enough to set the women's course record. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of why it's still my favorite race. I just, I just love that race. That's fun. I have to ask this question. I, I know that some of our listeners say, wait a minute, she, did she actually say 460 miles and then 340 nonstop? What? And then, yeah. it, you know, if they're familiar with the Eco Challenge series, then they know you guys are racing like nine, ten days pretty much nonstop. And uh, mm-hmm. that's with almost no sleep. People probably say, why on earth would a person want to do something like that? Can you answer that question for us? Um, well, I mean, it's, it, it may be, you know, trite-ish, but because, because you can, you know, just to see if you can, to see what you've got, to see where your edge is and to say, maybe my perceived edge isn't really my edge. And there's something really thrilling about the, it's not even the competition for me. It's, it's the, I mean, I love being out there and competing well, but really I'm just competing with myself. Like, how long can I stay focused? How much can I focus on my stroke? How, how bad do I want this? How much can I push? How can I make it through this night without, without falling apart? And, you know, I, that's the challenge. I think a lot of endurance people really seek, you know, is, is what do I have in here and how do I figure out, you know, what my limits are and in my head, if I have limits, and I push through them, do I make it to the other side? And, you know, so it's sort of a, a process of self-discovery. And I think most people have a lot of perceived limits of what they can and can't do, but, but then they push through it and, and say, wow, here I am. I'm, I'm still standing. I made it through, you know, I, I kind of walked through that wall and here I'm in the side, there's a whole nother room, you know, it's like discovering, you know, it's like discovering a whole new world on the other side. Like, wow, what else can I do? What else am I capable of? And in a way it's, you know, kind of exciting and, and addictive to, you know, that process of 
self-discovery. Some people don't have it in them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm good. I've discovered myself. I'm all fine. I like to be doing what I do. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think there it just lives in a lot of us that, that desire, you know, to see what's there. That's fun. Will you take us, just so we understand what we're talking about here, will you take us through a 24-hour period, let's say in the middle part of the Missouri race, um, what is a, what is the routine? What does it feel like? Um, there's a lot of, of talking to yourself in your head. <laughs> you know, it, it, you have to really, you know, I don't, it's not about liking yourself per se. It's about like being your own friend and your own coach is, is a lot of what's going on. And um, I do listen to, uh, you know, podcasts or sometimes music or, you know, books on tape. But throughout that, while my brain is sort of, you know, it needs to have something to chew on in the background, but layered over the top of that is, you know, literally the consistent, you know, what's going on with your stroke? How's your speed? Where, where are the other competitors in the arena? Are you catching that guy in front of you or are you losing that guy in front of you? You know, there's this constant, um, you know, ongoing analysis of the race going on in your head. And then, you know, externally, sometimes the river's moving pretty freaking fast. You know, it's in, the interesting thing about, you know, paddling is it's never the same twice. You know, different from Ironman, you know, like in Kona, for example, where you know exactly what street you're going to be on. Are you going uphill? You're going downhill. Where the winds are going to be, you know, how hot it's going to be. You know, it's a known quantity. On a river, it changes sometimes minute to minute. In some races, the river's super slow. And that has its own challenges. Some races, it's like the peak of, of its speed. And you're literally just whizzing by stuff going, man, I'm glad I didn't hit that. And, you know, and then at night, you know, there's definitely that, that feeling of doom and dread. And, you know, it starts getting dark and you know that you're going to spend the next 10, 10 hours, 12 hours in this just dark tunnel with only your headlamp, you know, to that's your only sphere of knowledge and understanding is just what you can see in your headlamp or in your bow light. And, you know, so you go into that weird tunnel for, you know, 10, 12 hours. And I think that's where it gets a little sketchy, a little, you know, it's easy to let your fears get away from you. It's easy to talk yourself into, you know what, I'm just going to pull over here. I'm just going to stop for 15 minutes and regroup and take a nap. And, you know, that's where, uh, you know, so in my head, in a way, those are that's the crux of the of the race to me is the night because everyone's pretty strong during the day but a lot of the mental demons come at night mm. and you know that's really where you can get an advantage and so that's where I actually I don't look forward to it because I, I hate the night I'm not gonna say I like it but I also know that that's where the magic happens you know in terms of where the breakthroughs happen and and where you get the advantage on on other people who are kind of allowing themselves to stop, slow down, you know, be afraid, sleep. And, you know, then the dawn starts coming and, you know, there's that thrill and excitement of everything's going to be okay. You know, I made it, you know, there's, there's so many different mental finish lines that you, that you set up for yourself. And for me, one of them is like first light, like, man, I made it. I made it. I, you know, all those night demons are behind me and, you know, now I just, head down, hammer through another day. And, you know, it's a lot of it's a mental game of, of, you know, setting up mental checkpoints for yourself and then saying, okay, in, in 90 minutes, I'm going to eat a piece of this bar. 
you know, and so you, you have like just a little something, something to, to look forward to and, and you're watching the clock and, and kind of, you know, not letting yourself stop until you've said you're going to let yourself stop, you know, unless something catastrophic happens. And it's a, you know, it's a discipline and, and a ritual and, you know, you're almost on a kind of a different plane for those 48, 50, whatever it is, hours. And, you know, it's, uh, it's very, it's a little bit strange on the other side. It, I always called it after an adventure race, I called it re-entry. You know, it's like you've been on the moon for however long, you know, just in your old world, your own focus, your, you know, your self-talk and your discipline and your fears and your breakthroughs and, and then you land and there's people there and they've just been eating donuts and staying in a hotel. And it's like, you know, the world just collide, you know, where you're <laughs> coming off the moon and everyone else is in the real world. And, you know, that's its own kind of fun, you know, going, wow, you know, I made it, I made it back to the real world and there's a TV here and there's a pancake and, oh my God, and this is awesome. And everything's new and exciting again in your life. And there's a bed and there's a light switch and, you know, you can actually turn on lights and the house lights up, you know, and it's in a weird way, you know, that self-deprivation leads to such appreciation when, when you get done of just the little things that you have. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Hey, River Rats, you've heard nature photographer John Fielder discuss Colorado's free-flowing Yampa River on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Now get the 150 scenic and historic pictures behind the words. John's latest coffee table book guides you from its headwaters in the Flat Tops Wilderness to the confluence with the Green River and Dinosaur National Monument. Visit johnfielder.com for more about the book or get your copy now at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite independent Colorado book retailer. Once again, that book is Colorado's Yampa River, free-flowing and wild from the flat tops to the green. lot of self-discovery you keep mentioning that and you know i think that's what makes your book so good is that you've had the experiences where you had to really stretch yourself not only alone but also with in fantastic teams which taught you a lot about yep. teamwork and 
people working together for a common goal. And boy, what you just described on the Missouri River, especially trying to get through the night, the first night would be tough. I can't imagine the second. Wow. That's just going to Yeah, there's a lot of sleep deprivation, a lot of sleep deprivation going on. And last year, a mini sidebar, a hilarious thing happened where I was absolutely, completely, 100% positive in my you know, in my lucid moments that there was a little seven inch tall little witch that was hanging on the front of my boat (laughs) and it was driving me bananas and it was scaring the crap out of me, but she was there. It was, and she was hanging on with her fingertips on the front of my boat, looking at me, staring at me with her green face. And I shined different lights on it, different angles, moved my boat back and forth to get a different angle on the moon and I'm like, that thing is freaking there. And then I really started freaking out. So first of all, I'm like, you know, you're just freaking out. You're just sleep deprived. And then I kept looking and I kept looking and, you know, she was there. And, you know, that's where you just have these mental, you know, these mental breakdowns of, you know, you know, the, what's going on. You know, it's, I've never taken a, a, an illegal drug in my life. But I'm like, wow, this must be what, what an illegal, you know, a, a drug trip is like, you know, <laughs> not a good one either. <laughs> no, it was a bad one. And I, pulled into the next checkpoint and I said, Jack, check the front of my boat. I'm yelling at my husband to check the front of my boat and get the witch off of it. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, maybe it's time for you to come in. (laughs) And you're done for a little while. (laughs) Oh, hell no. He's like, okay, I got it off. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. You're good. (laughs) That's his job. (laughs) I love these stories. Okay, I got it. (laughs) We interviewed a guy um, who was doing the Hard Rock 100 foot race, you know, in uh, Silverton, Colorado. Amazing race, endurance ultra marathon, you know, deal. And he was talking about the hallucinations. And so you have people that can run segments of the race with you. It's just kind of protect you and make sure that you're on on track and on pace and not completely losing it. And so it gives you someone to verify, right? So his mm-hmm. story was funny because he's seen billboards. He's seen all, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about twelve thousand feet in the middle of the wilderness, and he sees billboards yep. and all sorts of things. And he he was at a point where he really needed an energy boost. He needed a a, a bit of food or an energy drink or something. And he saw one sitting on the trail as he's running, and he thinks <laughs> this is just another hallucination. <laughs> you know, it's got to be. So he turns to the the guy running with him and says, that can't be real. The guy says, no, it is, really. <laughs> they picked it up and he drank it. Oh, wow. It, <laughs> it was yeah, just so funny because, <laughs> yeah, someone dropped one, so. <laughs> wow, that's a bonus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, that's crazy. Like, anyone who's stayed up a full night and then, like, into the next night, yeah, it's it gets crazy. I, I tried to get my team to all, you were all in British Columbia, and I was like, you guys, let's go sleep in that bus. And they're like, what? Isn't that what? I'm like, I swear to God, you guys. And we went traipsing through. Like they, I was absolutely positive. I saw a bus, you know, out there in the in the forest, like a real bus, and we were all going to sleep in it. And I had them all convinced that that was where we were going to, you know, we were going to sleep. And, I mean, it's real. I mean, in your head, it's real. And, you know, kind of makes you nervous about, about your brain. <laughs> Yeah, I think the scary part might be had there really been a bus there because then it's like, wait a minute, that should have been a hallucination. (laughs) True. Well, I tell you what, you've learned so much from this, and you put a lot of that into your book. So tell us a little bit about how winning works. I never set out 
to write a book. Um, <laughs> it kind of just, well, like like most of the things that happened after adventure racing, it just sort of happened uh, from people saying, hey, there's there's a lot that you guys have learned in these crazy sports, not necessarily about the sports, but especially in adventure racing, how how to get a bunch of semi-exhausted people through an endless series of checkpoints in pursuit of an impossible goal in changing conditions and crossing huge, hairy, audacious finish lines. And, you know, because of the rules of adventure racing where you had to, to actually get all of your teammates across the finish line or you weren't even allowed to say you finished, I mean, which is, which is weird, right? I mean, you could train your butt off, spend months and months, all this money, and, and if one of your teammates sprains his ankle and can't continue, your whole entire team is disqualified. Mm. So, yeah, so based on the rules of adventure racing, one of the most important things that we learned had very little to do with sports and, and everything to do with how do we genuinely look out for each other from start to finish in these crazy challenging circumstances where we're all hungry and sleep deprived and jacked up and, but yet you still have to give your intent and energy and effort to every single person around you when you're barely, you know, surviving yourself. And how do you get, not only get all these people across the finish line, but also, you know, you know, competitively at the top of the pack. And so sort of our, um, the book is about all of us as, as team builders and what we've learned about building a world-class team that succeeds against the toughest of odds and what are those essential elements that create world-class, you know, really relationships. And so it, it in essence, became kind of a, a, a business book, a relationship book, and it's really about you, the team builder, you, the leader, saying, how do I create these world-class connections where where all of us are better than we would have ever been alone, where we can cross finish lines we could never cross alone and, and build these teams that can make it against all odds. And so, so, you know, it's a lot about teamwork, but it's also about, you know, personal leadership. You know, who are you as a connector, as a team builder, as someone that's constantly saying, how do I create a win-win and build a team, you know, that whether that's a team for life in a marriage or whether it's, it's a team at work or whether it's a team that you're with on a project for two days, you know, how do I build this world-class team? And, you know, that's the book is the eight essential elements that create human synergy where we're better together than we could ever be alone. And it it really is based on not what, what I came up with. It's based on what I learned from racing with the best of the best in adventure racing and, and who they were and how they were with and for each other. And a lot of the other teams were out there with each other and our teams were out there for each other. And that's literally what made all the difference. We were never the best athletes. Trust me. We were like totally mediocre. athletes. Well, I was a mediocre athlete. Those guys were pretty exceptional, but um, you know, we never even trained together. We just showed up at start lines to race together, but it was that attitude of how we wanted to be as a team that made all the difference. And so that's, that's what it's about. It's, it's really like a how to for building world-class teams. I think that's something that's so beautiful about the human race is that there really are, and this is not just a trite saying, this is, this is for real. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because different people have different strengths. And when we right. lend those strengths to each other and come together as a team, we can do more than we can individually. But not only that, I mean, you have four people that are, are working together 
the synergy that you mentioned, synergy, you can end up with the effect of five or six people. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. those four people are encouraging each other and and spotting each other in the difficult situations. It it's a beautiful yeah. thing. And lending, you know, what, one of the key things is, I mean, every every adventure racer knows to to lend their teammates their strengths. Um, you know, and of course, you don't even want to race on a team with somebody that, when they're strong, they just go out front and wait for you at the next checkpoint. <laughs> that's, not, that's not your teammate. But you know, one of the key factors is, is not only lending your strengths, but also raising your hand on your challenges and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm sucking right now. I mean, I need to go to the. I need someone to carry my stuff for a while, throw me a tow line, so I can recover and then and be better tomorrow." And, you know, if you don't leave your ego at the start line and you don't kind of raise your hand and point out like, hey, I'm, I'm dehydrated, I'm falling apart, I'm tired, because that's so important. Because if you let that person just keep going deeper and deeper into the hole, you're going to end up stopping for eight hours to let them recover or they're going to they're going to injure themselves or, you know, and so that's so much of the game is not not letting those, it's, it's not even how fast you go. It's how slow you don't go. You know, it's how mm-hmm. little you slow down. And, and that's a matter of genuinely keeping people from going into the hole. You got to do preventative maintenance 24 seven. Like how is everybody, how is everybody doing? Can I tell you, can I carry your stuff? And, and it's not even so much that somebody needs it at the moment. It's, you just know that it's going to prevent them from going in the hole later. And, you know, and that's so much of the game. It's, 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 you know, speed at the front, but then also how do we keep these people from, how do we keep all of us from falling apart? Because when someone really falls apart, then your race is over. You know, when someone falls apart, then your race is over. I, I want to kind of do a little bit of dive into that because I have uh, decades of experience in the business world where annually we do big multi-million dollar projects. And there are a lot of people involved in, in really crazy deadlines. And these sorts of things, you know, sometimes bring out the worst in people. And mistakes yeah. always happen. You can't do projects of this scope without there being some mistakes. And here's the thing. I've noticed that there are some times when people start pointing fingers mm-hmm. and blaming someone else, either to, to keep the blame off of themselves or just because, you know, tension is, is mounting. And when people start blaming and pointing, I feel like it, it, it damages the whole project. Then Absolutely. from that point forward, that you know, you're running on three out of four pistons instead of the full team. So yep. how do you keep people from playing the blame game and turn it around so you get that human synergy that you're talking about? Well, it's, it's sort of, you know, you're right. As soon as that first finger pointing starts, happening um you you've lost the trust you've lost that foundation of trust and respect among the teammates to say you know that says look we're all going to suck we're all going to make a mistake at times we're all going to be the the weakest link you know and and i think that bigger understanding kind of that that this is an endurance race man this is not a sprint this is an endurance race and every single person on this team no matter how badass you are Every single person on this team is going to be the strong link and every single person on this team in some way, shape or form, you know, maybe it's because of of background or experience is not going to be the strong link. And I think when you have that bigger understanding that, that it's not about credit, it's about results. And all of us at this finish line 
are going to have a star next to our name that says we we won X, Y, or Z project race, whatever it is. You know, it's it's a focus on that bigger picture to say, you know, we all cross this finish line and win this deal or win this race or whatever it is. All of this stuff is going to seem so little and petty and unimportant that, you know, we have to focus on, on the end. And one of the things that I always kept in the back of my mind, and, and so did, did the team, is something that um, I learned from actually a fire, a fire chief who said, um, mentioned what he called the aluminum can theory. And the idea being that, you know, when, you're, when you have that moment where you want to point a finger, blame somebody else, um, you know, deliver that like verbal death blow to the other person that you know their sweet spot and you're, you've got a dagger and you're about to take them out um, and you know how to do it. Those things are aluminum cans. They stay in the environment forever. And every single time I, wanted, I was about to let an aluminum can come out of my mouth, um, I stopped it because people will remember how you treated them on their worst day in their toughest times, they will remember that for the rest of their lives, the rest of their lives. And you cannot be that aluminum can. You can't let that aluminum can happen. And you have to be the more mature person to say, it's not weird how I feel. You know, all of this is totally normal and natural how I feel. But what I do in this moment is the most important thing. And what I do right now is I stay quiet, and I see how and who else I can help. I do not contribute to this problem. I don't create this aluminum can. I want to be the person that people remember forever as the person who changed this moment, who made this moment better, who brought us all back to what's important. And that's the bigger picture, the higher self, the higher level. That that And, and if you have people trained to you know, to kind of say, let's think bigger than this. Let's think bigger than this small moment that, you know, that we're having right now. Let's think through the finish line. Let's be the bigger person. Um, when you have that ingrained in your team, it's, you know, that's where the magic happens. Hmm, that's cool. And you know what? Every time someone knows that the finger pointing could happen, they know that they're vulnerable, they know that they've screwed up. And instead mm-hmm. of getting that aluminum can, they get that, bit of grace and encouragement and redirection exactly. of focus, then that's a seed planted. You just built allegiance yep. in the team. You just yep. you just made them want to do something great for you sometime too. And yep. it encourages everybody. And then you've got all four cylinders running again. So I, I love yep. that. That is beautiful. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's the mutual well the the uh one of the essential elements is that mutual respect. You know, with with a big piece being that grace, you know, to say, yeah, I I I have every reason to hang you right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to take the exact opposite tack and mm. say, you're already, you already know that you, you screwed up. You don't need me piling on you. You know, you need, you need me to say, okay, well, let's, let's refocus and let's get through this. And, you know, again, that's, that's what the person's going to remember. And, you know, I think a lot of people miss that moment to build a bridge and, and, you know, it's, it's that consciousness to see where those moments of grace are and those moments to build a connection in those moments to be the leader, you know, to be the bigger person here and, and see what the team needs and not just what your immediate ego needs. Well, that's tough though. That immediate ego, (laughs) controlling (laughs) your ego must be one of the biggest challenges of life. Don't you think? Yeah. It's yeah. That's we, we always said, you know, we have to leave our egos at the start line. It was just an understanding on our team that, 
it was the heaviest thing in your pack and you weren't allowed to bring it with you. Period. End of story. And, and, <laughs> and every time, every time someone asked, do you need help? You always said yes. Whatever, you know, whatever it was. You know, and, Robin, I think what know, I'm going to do is buy a big pile of your books. And every time I, uh, I see someone who's about to blow it to drop that aluminum can. I'm just going to hand them one of your books. Okay, this one's for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't work on everybody, but you know, it, it's that's also part of the art of building your team, right? Is you when you are bringing people onto your team in your life and your business, it's you know just as as important as what they know, um, you know, process wise or what their background experience is, is who they are. And, you know, for me, there were a lot of athletes out there in the world that were great adventure racers that I just knew weren't the person for my team because we, you know, we found them walking alone at the front of the pack, you know, at their, at their last race, you know, so as awesome as they were, they left their teammates behind. They missed their moment to help somebody else and get to the finish line faster. And, you know, so, so for me, yes, it was important to be a great athlete, but more important was to be a great leader and a great teammate. And, you know, that's why we were lucky enough to be at the top of our game for a long time because it was it was great athletes, but it was also great team building. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Phoenix Multisport is a sober, active community that supports individuals who are healing from substance use disorder by providing free programs to help them maintain their sobriety. A few of these programs include CrossFit, yoga, boxing, cycling, and rock climbing, and are offered to anyone who is 48 hours clean and sober. Phoenix Multisport provides programs in Colorado, Orange County, California, and Boston, Massachusetts. For more information on this nonprofit, go to www.phoenixmultisport.org. Together, we can help individuals rise from the ashes of their addiction and heal families. Robin, from our previous interview, we started talking about Project Athena and a similar dynamic there of how much people learn by teaming up together and getting each other through some real challenges that Project Athena sets up on purpose for these people. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. Cool. Well, let's start. Let's Um, rewind. What's Project Athena so people know? Um, It it was sort of an inspiration based on my pal, Louise Cooper, who was also... I mean, actually, the one of the best, most prolific adventure racers of all time, you know, from the beginning. And uh, she's also an awesome ultra runner, mountaineer, uh, just an incredible person, you know, one of the best people on earth. 
and uh, she's now a two-time breast cancer survivor. But I was, we were pals back in, um, you know, 98, 99, when she went through her first bout with breast cancer and kind of watching her process that and watching her be her throughout that, meaning, you know, on the days, you know, she, she ran and ran and ran, you know, every single day. And then after a lot of the chemo and radiation and when she couldn't run anymore, she walked. And when she couldn't walk, she rode her bike and, you know, she, she just kind of said every single day, I'm still getting out my door and I'm still doing something. And she always put um, a race or adventure or challenge on her calendar um, so that she wasn't, you know, kind of her finish line wasn't breast cancer. It was, she was thinking so far beyond that, you know, she was like, well, this cancer is just a minor inconvenience while I'm training for this ultra. (laughs) So uh, with, you know, kind of with that idea in mind, I did the same thing for myself after I started having my hips replaced, like, okay, this is just a minor inconvenience because I'm a paddler and I'm training for this big race. And so that kind of became the foundation for Project Athena, where um, we help survivors of medical or traumatic setbacks train for and cross a really challenging finish line as part of their recovery so that they can, A, have something to look forward to and think past their their setback to their future. And then also it's turned out to be an incredible vehicle to um, allow those women to show themselves and their families how strong they are because people have been worrying about them for months and weeks and years. And when they complete these adventures, um, it's their big comeback party, you know, it's them showing themselves and their family and their kids, you know, mommy's not sick anymore. You know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Um, you know, I'm not only okay, I'm kicking ass. And, you know, that's the whole idea of it is, is it's not, we don't necessarily train people for things like a 5k, which we have done, but what, what we really like to do is set huge, hairy, audacious, ridiculous, challenging finish lines, like hiking across the Grand Canyon in one day or um, kayaking and riding from Key Largo to Key West over three days, 120 miles. And it's neat for these survivors to do things that their friends and family who've never had a medical, you know, major medical setback where they're looking at them going, you, you did what? You're going to do what? You know, and that's, that's what's really kind of fun. It's like, it's like not, hey, I got off my couch and I walked the 5K. It's I survived cancer. I was in a coma for three months. I have one leg and I hiked across the Grand Canyon. And, you know, that's, it just changes people's lives. And we've always kind of known that about endurance and adventure, but it's, it's neat to bring that to other people that are experience their, experiencing their awesomeness, you know, again, or maybe even for the first time. Mm, that is, it's such a neat concept to take people when they're, when they're really down hard and say, no, it's not a matter of getting well. We're going to go do this big, huge thing and we're going to show the world. I'm not just yeah. well, I'm rocking. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's the the whole idea. And now we, it's grown to the point where we have these uh, six major adventures a year, and um, we have half the group are our survivors, and they apply for Athena ships, which are our grants. And so we get grants all year, and we have quarterly meetings, and our board chooses the Athenas that we can help. And um, then they get a coach. They have a coach for six months, and we you know, the foundation dollars help them get, you know, specialized equipment, maybe even some other local training. They have our coach that they interface with every week. Um, They get all this um, kind of, you know, inspirational 
um, podcasts and, you know, it's sort of like an entire system to help them get ready for their adventure. And, you know, it's their travel, their accommodations. Literally, they get a grant for everything from, from soup to nuts. And then they come on the adventure with a bunch of other people who are our fundraisers. And we call our fundraisers our gods and goddesses. So the neat thing is, uh, and the fundraisers are not necessarily people who've had medical or traumatic setbacks, although it does end up being, you know, people who are inspired by that, but they want to come raise money. And so we got half the group usually that are survivors and the other half that are fundraisers. And they all go together on these adventures, which is a really neat thing because a lot of times, you know, wonderful people go and raise money for, you know, leukemia, lymphoma society or something like that. Uh, or they do the breast cancer three day. And, um, but the neat thing about our adventures is not only a great cause, but you actually get to see your fundraising dollars in action in the form of, you know, experiencing it right alongside an Athena or a group of Athenas who have benefited from your fundraising. And so it's a really neat full circle thing. You know, the, the gods and goddesses raise the money and then they come on the adventure with the Athenas that they've helped. And so each adventure has, you know, between 40 and 50 people in it, um, half are fundraisers. And then we all go together as one big team and take care of each other and feed each other and carry each other's stuff and encourage each other. And it's, uh, it becomes a really amazing family over the, over the several days we're all together. And, um, you know, it's just an incredible bond and an awesome experience. And it's really doable for anybody, literally doable for anybody. And I say that because we took a couple um, that had not done an athletic thing in their life. And with our training program for six months, you know, they followed it to a T, like literally did every single thing that we said to do on every single day. And they did our rim to rim to rim adventure where we hike all the way across the Grand Canyon in one day and all the way back the next 45 miles, 12,000 feet of elevation gain and loss and, you know, did it successfully. So we know our program works and it's not, it's not for big time athletes at all. In fact, 90% of the people that come are just regular, cool, awesome people that want to have a great adventure with the people who can help them make it happen. And that's my team. Mm. You know, I want to highlight what you said there, not necessarily athletes or people that, you know, have a history of doing ultra-type adventures. You're talking about everyday people who learn what they're capable of. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's it's like the best thing in the entire world to watch people have that same self-discovery that that I and my trail angels, you know, I, I call my, my people trail angels and my people being our facilitators who are all, you know, ex-top endurance athletes, mountain bikers, adventure racers, who are there now to facilitate the success of other people on, on their mission of self-discovery. And I'm telling you, it, like, literally, I get beclumped every time we do one of these things when I just watch people. I just watch them amaze and inspire themselves. And it's just, it's the best thing in the world to be a part of. Love oh, that it. is so cool. You know, I want to give a little personal testimony, maybe that would apply to this whole concept. About seven years ago, Robin, I ruptured a disc in my spine, and mm. it resulted in my right leg being about 80% paralyzed, and the pain was unbelievable. I won't go into it, but the point of this is that I decided that that was something I was going to overcome, and yeah. the reason that I wanted to overcome it is because I had big dreams and big goals for my own adventure sports. 
And so, you know, it took a year to be able to walk uh, without stumbling, without a cane, and and to be able to start doing things again. But what I wanted to make a point of is now when I go climb a 14er, like this summer with my boys, we climb snow bass. It's 19 miles, 14,000 feet up. I looked down at that leg that was almost gone, and you know what? It's one of the most amazing experiences ever to say, I did it. This is no longer a problem in my life. And uh, I think that that's what you're giving to the people, the Athenas, on these trips. It's not just, oh, I overcame cancer or this challenge or that challenge. It's a matter of, no, this is no longer a problem in my life. And it's a, a, a new life in a lot of ways. It's not only is, is this not a problem, but man, I I really have something here, you know. And a lot of our Athenas, once that light switch goes on to say, I'm not injured anymore. I'm not the sick person anymore. I'm not the person that everyone is is so afraid for anymore. When that light flips, you know, that switch flips, all of a sudden they start seeing themselves as wow, I'm, I'm an athlete, I'm a runner, I'm a hiker, I'm a, you know, and, and then it's sort of the, the sky is the limit. You know, it's just sort of this really, it's this cool mental shift. And I mean, one of our Athenas last year, she came in, you know, thinking that she was just nervous because there was a section where she had to walk a couple miles. And she went, she's already run her first half marathon, you know, two weeks ago and looking wow. at a marathon. And, you know, you know, for her, it was just all of a sudden she not only did not only walk that section, but she ran that section. And all of a sudden the light bulb went on. She was like, whoa, OK, I can I can run with this. I can run with this brace. You know, not not only can I just walk with this brace, like they, all of a sudden she was running and she was like, what else can I do? What else can I do? And, you know, that's that's what's just so much fun. And, you know, that same experience that you had where you that that all of a sudden that light bulb goes on and you're like wow yeah i'm i'm not that person anymore like i'm not the person that's always looking for my cane you know in my case you know i've been on and off a freaking cane or crutches for the last six years (laughs) off and on you know like like i you know know, once you like walk across the kitchen or whatever for the first time all of a sudden you're like hey What if I can walk up the stairs? You know, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's it's a very cool thing, you know, and and you know, you did it for yourself, and a lot of people, you know, do make their big comeback for themselves, and um, but there are a lot of other people that don't have the background, the faculty, the experience, the you know, and then that's that's where we come in is is it's okay if you've never done an athletic thing in your life, you're you're about to be an endurance athlete, and you know. It's just, it's just so much fun. You know, the, the phrase that comes to mind when you tell this story is that life is on again. Life yeah. is on, you know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Game on. That's great. That's fantastic. I love what you're doing with Project Athena. So encouraging. If people want to get involved, what do they do? How do they contact you about this? Um, the website is projectathena.org. Projectathena.org. And uh, when you go on there, you, if you are in Athena, you can apply for a grant. Um, you can, anyone can also make a donation, of course. But what we, what we love is uh, when our adventures completely fill up. So we have uh, six adventures, 40 spots. Several of them are very, very close to full right now for the year. Um, our Florida Keys adventure has two spots left. 
out of the 40. Our Grand Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim has two spots left. Uh, we also do a Rim to Rim one day that has four or five spots left. And then uh, next year we're introducing a 24-hour intro to adventure racing in Santa Barbara in June where um, we're going to actually make one big team. We're going to navigate together. We're going to paddle, mountain bike, and, um, and hike for 24 hours straight so that people can get an idea for what it's like to be in an adventure race, but in a normal, cool people capacity, you know, not racing, just, just going, just moving together through the day and the night. And, um, you know, so that's the new one for this year. And then we also have a 50-mile hike down the San Diego coast, which we call Harbor to Harbor, from Oceanside Harbor to San Diego Harbor, hiking 25 miles a day for two days. So, and they're, you know, it, they're all things that, like, to, to normal people, you know, to friends and family just sound completely nuts. But at the same time, it's all very doable, you know, with training and a great team around you. And that's what we're trying to show people. Mm. How inspiring. That's very, very cool. So projectathena.org is how people can get more information. And if you'd like to be on one of these trips, then that's that's how to, to hook up for that. Now we, we, we love it when, you know, we love it when, when athletes sign up, of course, because then they can sort of help us and be an honorary trail angel and help us carry things and encourage people, which is fantastic. But we also love when, you know, when non-athletes sign up and, and they become and endurance athletes along the way through their training and the adventure. So, you know, it's, it's not about being an athlete. It's about having that desire and that drive and wanting to, to help somebody else. So people will apply to be a god or a goddess. We set you up with a fundraising page. And um, all these trips are all inclusive. Once you raise the minimum, uh, generally 3000 um, I think that's for almost all the adventures. Yeah, then, then the trips become all-inclusive. The minute you land in the airport, we take care of all your food and lodging and equipment and, and all that kind of good stuff. So it's pretty easy to do, too. Very cool. So you also do a lot of motivational speaking. You are a guest keynote speaker frequently. How do people contact you about that? Um, I guess that website would be my name, um, but it's actually instead of my name, which is hard to spell. Uh, you can also get there from uh, World Class Teams, worldclassteams.com. Worldclassteams.com. Yep, and that leads you to robinbenincasa.com. Very cool, and that's R-O-B-Y-N, correct? Yep. And Benincasa, spell that one for us. B-E-N-I-N-C-A-S-A. So just like the way ben it sounds. in the house. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Robin, I love what you're doing, and thank you so much for coming back on the show. I wanted our guests to get to hear your story again, but especially to get to hear about Project Athena again, because it's such a neat organization doing such great things for people. And I, I just want to point out to everyone, the main theme that we haven't been really um, just super in your face about is that when you do things that challenge yourself, you learn things that apply to the rest of your life. And it helps you through the hardest of times and the best of times, individually and on a team. And Robin, that's what you're giving as a gift to society, and we appreciate that. Thank you for that. Thanks, buddy. Uh, you bet. <laughs> and for all of our listeners out there, until the next show, get out there and have some fun and uh, take the time to learn something that will apply to the rest of life.
Hey, will you help us get the word out about the Adventure Sports Podcast? One of the best ways you can do that is to tell your friends about the show and, of course, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you.